0: guys. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3. If you got your Bible, you can go ahead and start flipping there. Uh, Just to give you a a real quick heads up, we looked at Proverbs and we decided Proverbs is a very long book. We like to work through books of the Bible whenever possible. When we don't have the opportunity to work all the way through it, sometimes it's good to take it in segments. And so Proverbs breaks down into chapters 1 to 9 and then 10 to 31. We looked at that first section and then we've been really focusing on the first half of that first section, which means when we get to the end of Proverbs 4, which is what we'll be starting next week, we will be moving into a different book of the Bible. And I I think this may be one of my favorite days of the year because time again looks the way I think God created it to look, which is it's six o'clock and I can see what's going on outside. I can hang out with my family. I can get work done. This is one of my favorite days of the year because I feel like life goes back to the way that it's supposed to be. I'm just curious, am I the only one in this room or are we just non responsive tonight? Is this not one of the best, right? I also, thank you, Josh. If I ever ran for political office, it would probably be my single platform. I would absolutely get rid of daylight savings time and it would just be the way it's supposed to be. Um, But it is also one of my favorite days of the year because I have the opportunity to set my clocks in the car. And for whatever reason, when I started dating my wife, she just didn't know how to. Like figure that part out. And so I sort of get to flex a little bit of man muscle, and I don't even talk about it anymore. I just hop in the car, start driving, reach over, go through the menu and the settings. And she's like, my husband is just so brilliant and so smart. And I'm like, yes, and amen to that. Uh, It is something that I'm very confident in, changing clocks. Uh, I remember VCR days. Some of you remember that. There were harder things to program back in the day than car clocks. However, that brings me to what I think is a very important question as we get ready to walk into this text. Let me not use a lot of oratory or rhetoric and just tell you this. What we're going to talk about tonight has everything to do with rest and confidence. Rest and confidence. And I love those two words because there's not a lot of middle ground. You either do it well or you don't, right? You either rest well or you're anxious at night and you can't sleep or you're just lazy. And the first thing that you see when you wake up in the morning is the price is right. You know, like that's kind of how it works. And when it comes to confidence, you either don't have any and your woe is me. And it's kind of like Jesus is good and you're filled with the spirit if you're trusting in him. So smile and go after life a little bit. Or you're like, you know, I kind of do everything well. You know, and you have that kind of confidence. And so I'm amped up that tonight we get to talk about this concept of rest and confidence. And there's going to be a passage toward the the end of our time in God's word out of the book of Hebrews. And when we get there, I want you to already have a pre-programmed response to this question, which I'm hoping I don't forget because I didn't write it in my notes. And that is this. What is something that you are legitimately confident in your ability to pull off? Let me make you a promise, I'm not going to do the pastoral like bait and switch and call you proud and arrogant. All of us have things that we are good at. Those of us who are Christians are guaranteed to have things that we're good at because the Holy Spirit enters us so that 1 Corinthians 12, we can live out life serving God and serving the world around us. So my question is, what is something that you are pretty confident in your ability to pull off? Now let me pray over us, and we'll dig into God's word. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 19. Pray with me if you would. God, this is my prayer, and this is my hope for these people tonight. Show us how to rest in a gospel-filled rest. Show us how the work of Christ can cause us to be able to lean into that and rest in that and have confidence in the work of Christ so that we can do the works that you prepared beforehand that we would walk in them according to the book of Ephesians. There are people in this room who don't rest well. There are people who struggle with anxiety. There are people who struggle with fear. There are people who just struggle because they struggle. Show them the certainty of the power of Christ over this world. There are some of us who need to take a step forward in being confident, not in ourselves or our ability. What an empty thing to come to you with. But confidence in the ability of Christ. Confidence in his work, living in this world a perfect life, dying an undue yet perfect death so that all of us who put our faith and trust in him can be seen in his, not our righteousness. We should be a people of rest and confidence. And if we are not, what a beautiful reality that tonight you are offering it to us. May those who need that offer receive it. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, we're going to look at Proverbs 3 starting in verse 19. I'm going to read the first two verses. You'll see them appear behind me. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth, by understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. If you don't remember anything else from the sermon, I'm going to let you feel smart in front of your friends because I'm going to teach you a theological word that most people don't know. And that word is merisms, all right? I think I've got a little definition for you. Merisms are when the extremes are used to define the whole or to describe the whole. It's when somebody's being hyperbolic and they say from this end of reality to this end of reality, this is real. And by so doing, they say everything in the middle is what I'm referring to. Let me give you a great example in scripture. This is Psalm 103 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions or our sins from us. That's a merism. God is putting on display an ultimate reality to the furthest extents of reality by saying, if you can imagine how far east goes, and then imagine how far west goes, and these are two lines that never cross. They're constantly getting further from one another. I know that we live on a sphere. Don't argue with me about this. The point is, they are as far away as far can be. God says, now you know how far I'm going to separate your sin from you in the way that I see you. That's a merism. Well, that's exactly what we see happening in Proverbs 3, 19 and 20. Go ahead and look back at it again. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth... All right, so we have this foundation, all right? He was there all the way in the past. If you, if you want to think linearly of time, the, wherever day one was, and of course, with God, there was no day one, but when the universe came to be, when he spoke and out of his mouth flew every material that the universe was going to need, from that starting point, God says, I'm there, I'm active, and I know what's going on. By understanding, he established the heavens. I'm showing you merism Physically. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Do you see merism in that? As high, as low, as far back. But there is one thing that's missing from that expanse. Before I show you what's missing, let me show you the three omnis of Proverbs. Now, if you, if you grew up in Sunday school, you may remember these. The, the three omnis of God are the ever-expanding realities of who he is. God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient, okay? Now, to walk through these, they're big 10-cent words, but omnipresence means always present. Omnipotent means always potent or powerful. Omniscient means all-knowing. So what this is ultimately saying is God is everywhere at all times, he is powerful in all ways and he is knowledgeable of all things. Now the reason I point this to you is because this is a reality that is true from left cover of scripture to right cover of scripture, but what we have in this neat little opening is all three of these live Together. I'm going to show it to you a little differently, but if you were to look at Proverbs 3, 19 through 20, and you built out that scripture talking about what God is, here's what it would look like. The Lord, by wisdom, by understanding, and by his knowledge, that's omniscience. It's saying that God, all of the things that proceed from this reality are because God is all-knowing. Well, not only is he all-knowing, but he founded the earth, so he was here for all time. And not only is he all-knowing, and not only was he here for all time, he built the heavens. The deeps opened up when he told them to. Clouds decide to rain. Dew builds up on the grass because God is powerful from the greatest storm to the creating of the cosmos to the little bead of dew that exists on the grass in the morning. That's the God I worship. Ever-expanding. Unable for me to wrap my mind around. And that's what the the writer of Proverbs uh, Solomon wants you to grasp before he gives you anything else. You see, rest in God and confidence in God is based on the power of God. If your God is weak, you are not going to rest very much. If your God is all is not all-knowing, you are not going to have much confidence. If your God is not all powerful, you are not going to be able to walk through this world with ease. In fact, you're going to feel like you have to do a lot yourself. But if all of those things are true and God is good, you can kind of sort of chill on trying to manage your life yourself. Now, Proverbs is about you learning and knowing stuff, generally speaking. Psalms is about you feeling it. So for those of you who are sort of cerebral people, Enjoy, right? But for those of you who are feelers, here's how God would say the same truth Psalm 139, 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I flee? I'm sorry, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that means the depths of the earth, you are there. You see the merism? If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. What Proverbs wants you to know, this psalm wants you to feel because what God is doing is he's building this open-ended box of confidence for those who are trusting in Christ. Um, I've got a little side hustle where I ship stuff off of the Amazon returns. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I just find it fascinating. I, I have the opportunity to like send packages all over the world. Keller and I do this together. We've been doing it for years. It's really, really cool. And I've gotten very good at making boxes. I always thought it was impressive. If y'all ever walked, to UP, walked into UPS or something, let me just go with UPS. Uh, let's say you walk into UPS and you've got a package and you're like, I've got to mail this thing. If you haven't seen this or appreciated it, just get on YouTube because it's pretty impressive. Because somebody who works with boxes well will take a box that is not the right size and they'll take out their little box knife and like, uh, I don't know, origami back in grade school, they just start whipping this thing out and then all of a sudden it's like... And it's like tight, and it's perfect, and the corners are square, and none of y'all are following me with this, and I'm like appreciating. I am all alone on an island with three people who appreciate square boxes, all right? I care about them. I'll tell you why I care about them, because if one inch is off, i got to pay more money. If one weight is askew, then i got to use more packing. Here's what God is building in this verse. You ready? I want you to imagine a cardboard box sitting here, and it's open on the top. All right, now I'm kicking that box over so that it is open toward you. Here's what God has just said. For all time in the foundations of the earth, I was there. I am your backstop. As high as the heavens are above the earth, I am your ceiling. To the depths of reality, I am your floor. My hand is to the right and my hand is to the left of all people who are trusting in me, which means there is only one side of that box that is left open. God has covered every side, top, bottom, back, left, and right. The only thing that God's word does not address is straightforward. And why? Well, the next verse tells us, verse 21, My son, do not lose sight of these Don't don't lose sight of what? Don't lose sight that you can look above at all God has made or below at the foundation that you stand upon, Christian. Don't, Don't lose sight that you can look behind at all that God has done on your behalf and know that he holds you and he leads you with his left and his right hand. And because all of that is true, there's no reason for you to fear going forward. No Christian trusting in Christ should be worried about tomorrow or the next moment or 10 years or 20 years from now because what God is showing us is this beauty and this energy and this confidence to be able to live big, risky, outside of ourselves and our competence type lives because that is what he has created for all who are trusting in him. Let me finish reading that section. Look at verse 21. My son, don't lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul. You realizing that your faith in Christ, and I'm speaking to you like everybody here is a Christian. I know that in all likelihood, not everyone is a Christian. But for those who are trusting in Christ, you recognizing that there is only one part of reality that you can have any question about, and that is tomorrow, that God has the rest covered should cause you to run hard after life. It's a beautiful thing. It's an adornment for your neck, verse 22 says. Verse 23, then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Now you may have heard me say, you can be confident of God about everything but tomorrow, but that is the reality. You're not questioning yesterday. You've already been there and done that. You're not questioning, in all likelihood, the magnitude of who God is. Or the depth of your brokenness in the foundation of Christ. That he has walked you through the valley of the shadow of death more times than you can probably count or remember if you were a journaler. But tomorrow is the big question. And his word says, here's the goal. Walk securely and don't stumble. This is why this section of Proverbs begins with God's infinite presence and power and knowledge. You have to start here. Begin with God's infinite presence, his infinite power, and his infinite knowledge because if God is for you, then you can rest and you can be confident. You can rest in every piece of life that would typically cause you to feel overwhelmed or anxious or not enough and you can have confidence that whatever comes out of the open door of that box The God who was there yesterday, above, below, and beside, will be there tomorrow. That is eternally good news. But if you only think, oh, that's good. You know, like my tomorrow's tomorrow and heaven is covered because of the work of Christ. You're missing this. What I'm saying is, when you have a blowout on the way home, when you get home and somebody throws up all over the floor, when you get an email that your job is now suspect as to whether or not it's going to exist in a week, when you get a cancer prognosis, when you find out that a loved one's been in a car accident, it doesn't matter what lives on the open side of the box because in Christ, who has all presence, all power, and all knowledge, you can still rest. You can still have confidence. And that, I think, is the hope that most of us need. Now, these are gonna be probably your favorite verses that I'm gonna read and probably your favorite verses to apply. So let me hop into them. This is Proverbs 3. We're just gonna continue through this chapter, verse 24, 25, and 26. What happens when you believe that God is good and he has wrapped you in a box of his power and presence and goodness? If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. I wish I could pull y'all right now How many of y'all sleep well? How many of y'all can't fall asleep? How many of y'all have a sleep ritual so that you can fool your mind into getting quiet enough so that you can fall asleep? God wants your sleep to be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be, here's our word, the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I don't know if you've ever thought about this outside of reading through the the creation story in Genesis, but the fact that God created all things in six days and then rested is a staggering fact. The the, the fact that all of the cosmos, every thread of fiber that you're sitting on or wearing was created in an instant, and, and six days later, God is sitting and resting is an incredible thing, not only to be true... But it's also, apparently, to God, very important that you know it. So important that from day one with his people, he was like, Sabbath is going to be a thing. I'm coming up with like 10 good rules. It's going to be on the biggie list, all right? We rest once every single week. And God even exampled it for us in creating all things, which is more work than you will ever do in a billion lifetimes. And then He rests. You and I, and I, I think this may be an American thing, I'll be honest with you, because when I've traveled, I have not seen this to be the case. Uh, I, I, I've seen it to be very different in Uganda. I've seen it to be very different in Kenya. I've seen it to be very different in Mexico, but I know this. In the America that I live in, we tend to perceive rest as weakness. On the contrary, God's power is of such magnitude that to rest is no threat to his sovereignty or his plan or his control or his care over all things. Have you contemplated that before? God's example of resting assures us that to rest is not to be weak. And rest is not only for when we are exhausted. Now, just take that reality for a minute and reverse engineer it. Imagine for a moment how differently your confidence in God would be If at the end of six days, he was like, I really wanted to rest, but I couldn't. I wanted to example rest for you, but as soon as I created this thing, Adam stopped paying attention, and Eve started eating stuff that she wasn't supposed to, and this snake starts talking. I don't like... All of it's already falling apart so quickly. I don't have any time to rest. I've got to deal with this. And now God's up there thinking, well, I've got to deal with the weather and I've got to deal with war and I've got to deal with this person's thoughts and I've got to deal with that person's actions. I will never be able to rest. How phenomenal is it that with all of the things going on in the cosmos, God still rests. If he could not, you and I should be incredibly fearful. But since he does rest, and he examples it for us. How much confidence should that give you in his goodness on the things that have yet to come to the open box? Now, l- let me just be heavy on application. When I read this at a 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Okay. You listen to that way differently than most of humanity coming to this passage. Just keep in mind who this was written to. This was written to a group of people who did not have light switches. Last night, I got up in the middle of the night. I chambered my gun and I walked downstairs because I was sure I heard the door open. Have you ever had one of those? I don't know. I feel like I'm talking to the guys in But Have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, I don't know how this is going to end, but it's likely going to end in blood and damage. Like something bad. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but you find yourself in situations where you're expecting someone is going to be injured at the end of this situation. 100% where I was last night. I did two things I never do. I woke up my wife and I woke up my mom. Never do that. Not, I just, I don't do that. I heard the door open. I walk upstairs, this, I will say this, this is cool about being a Christian. I wasn't afraid of, you know, whatever Booga Bear had come in. I wasn't afraid if it was some big dude, it I wasn't afraid of that. And it isn't because I had a gun. I wasn't afraid even though I have a beautiful young family that I want to protect. I wasn't afraid because I trust God. I, I still had a gun, but I trust God. So I walk around, I get my gun, and I wake my wife up, and I say, here's the deal. I just heard the door open. It's 1230 at night or something crazy like that. I just want you to sit up, all right? Because if, if somebody needs to run to the kids or get to the kids, I want you to be able to do it. And I walk downstairs. Guys, I'm telling you, I was so sure I heard the doors. I never even locked the doors at our house. But I get down there, and I'm walking. I'm like, lock door, lock door, lock door, lock door, What is going on? I was so sure, I'm checking behind bathroom doors. I was so sure that my mom, who wasn't feeling great at the time, I walked down into the basement apartment and I go, mom, you okay? Girl was sleeping deep. She had this like restful sleep on lockdown, just like Jesus Judy had nothing anxious on her mind when she went to bed that night because I was like, oh, the killer's in there. I've been calling for three, like for three solid minutes, nothing. And I'm like, I can't just walk in, guns blazing into my mom." Walk in, hey, I'm okay. Well, great, because I've been having a small panic attack out here the whole time. Nobody there. I was sure of it, 100% sure. The people that God wrote this to couldn't have even turned on a light when they heard a noise. They had no security systems. Bands of robbers, I'm taking this from New Testament and Olden Scripture, were a regular thing. Like, we hear something outside and we're like, oh, it's a tree branch. Imagine if what you heard was a band of robbers and that was normative. And you're just like, well, I hope they don't come to our door, which, by the way, doesn't even have a deadbolt. Like, how hard is it to get in a tent, really, when you want to get in? This is what God's people are dealing with when He says your sleep is going to be sweet. Women, y'all were incredibly vulnerable. We go to the grocery store, but these people, if there was four weeks of drought, people were starving to death. That was their normal. And God's saying, sleep sweetly. They were not able to control the cold or the heat with a thermostat. They certainly couldn't control it with a phone. If disease hit a village, it wrapped through the village. And you just knew people were going to be digging graves before this is done. And yet, they rested in the goodness of God Christians today had zero excuse for not resting in the goodness of God zero none the Saints of old are are incredible examples for us how was Joseph supposed to sleep when his own brothers sold him into slavery How does Jacob fall asleep with his head on a rock for goodness sake? That's the story. Of course he had a vision. Fell asleep with a rock under his head. He hears from the Lord and he rests and he trusts in that. How is Jesus supposed to sleep? All of those years and weeks, days and hours leading up to dying painfully on the cross. Because those who trust in Christ can sleep sweetly. Unless... Verse 25, do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. The Bible then takes this idea of sweet rest, which God wants you to have, and it breaks it into two reasons that people do not have it. Reason number one is sudden terror, the unexpected stuff. It's what I hit earlier, a cancer prognosis, a car accident, or something along those lines. You don't even know that it's coming, but it comes It's unearned. You didn't necessarily, look, when I say unearned, all of us have earned hell by our sinfulness. But what I'm saying is you haven't necessarily in your sinfulness done something to earn cancer or to earn a car accident. The road was just wet or the guy in front of you wasn't paying attention or somebody else was drinking and driving when they shouldn't have been. You didn't raise your hand for that. You didn't stick your neck out for that. We live in a broken world and that is a reality. God is saying when that is the case, when sudden terror threatens, are you able to trust me on the open side of the box enough not to fear it? Moms, when you think about your kids, when you think about illness. Dads, when you think about the future. Students, when you think about your major, whatever it is, are you able to say that come what may, I can trust in the goodness of God because of all of these omnis. But then Proverbs is also a book of wisdom, which means it's a book of warning. And it's also saying there's another kind of fear that exists. And this is a kind of fear where you bring it on yourself. The ruin of the wicked. This is you not being able to sleep because of the fear of lingering and likely coming consequences. Getting caught for that thing that you did or said. A text message coming through in front of the wrong person. Somebody forwarding or sharing a picture that you never should have sent in the first place. Walking into the office the next day and wondering who knows about that thing that you had done. Having to weave words with every conversation because you've got yourself in such a mess, you don't know how to get your way out of it. God's word is saying there are reasons to lose sleep. And those reasons will continue to cost you your sleep until they are forgiven in Christ. But God's desire is for you not to commit those things, to trust trust him in the things that a broken world brings about because it is very hard to love other people when you're anxious about yourself. It's hard to think of others when you're overburdened. It's hard to be considerate of others when you're dealing with fear. But confident and restful people naturally become loving people. If you're confident and if you're restful, you will much more naturally love the person that's sitting in front of, behind, and beside you, the neighbor that dwells right next to you. When you have this kind of confidence about today or tomorrow, your life gets a little bit of margin. You have a little bit of room. You have a little bit of energy. Your schedule, your schedule opens up a little bit, and that's where this proverb lands the plane. Take a look at verse 27. Now, as restful people, confident in the work of Christ, fighting the sin that brings consequences and trusting God in the broken world that he is still good and all of the omnis, now he says, you in this rest and confidence can love the people around you like this. Verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go, go. And come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. You see, confident and restful people have time for people. (sighs) Watch Jesus walk in the New Testament. He wasn't checking his watch. He wasn't looking at his calendar. For goodness sake, his best friend died because he didn't make it there in time. Fortunately, he's Jesus. He's like, quit dying. And Lazarus is like, okay, yes, sir restful, confident people have time for people. One way is we don't withhold good from the people who it's due. That's referring to somebody who's earned something giving to those who deserve it, giving someone who works for you a fair wage or a waiter who goes out of their way a generous tip, being above board in the way that you spend your money. But then it goes even deeper into a more Christ-like example in verse 28, saying, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. Now, in their day and age, they needed a community. They weren't nearly as self-sufficient as we were, as we are. And so when drought hit, They expected meals to come from their neighbors, even in neighboring provinces. When it was cold, they shared clothing, even if it meant the slaying of an animal to be able to provide it. They shared their tools and their resources with one another. That that isn't any different just because we live in a different time. That's what God wants from people who are trusting in him. And your neighbor might be the person who lives next to you. But it might also be the neighbor who lives in the same area as you. Or you could even take it and expand it. And your neighbor could be someone who lives on the planet at the same time as you. Which is why we pray for the persecuted church. Which is why we should be praying for Christians who are in Ukraine right now as war and death is threatening. And we should be praying for Christians who are in Russia who don't want anything to do with this. That's what it looks like to realize that your neighbor is wherever you are. But what I love about this and what really sort of kicks me in the gut is confident and restful people don't procrastinate doing good. I'm so bad at this. I mean to do it. I mean to do good. I see a situation that I want to step into, and I have every intent to do it. I'm going to get on Amazon. I'm going to buy that thing. I'm going to find their address. I'm going to send them that book, right? Or we're, I'm going to cook. I'm going to talk to my wife about cooking that meal, or we're going to buy that meal, and I'm actually going to take it to their house. Or, God, they look like they're overwhelmed. I'm going to offer to babysit, and I could do it in the moment, and I don't. And you know what happens? A good procrastinated often becomes a good left undone. Oh, a good procrastinated often becomes a good left undone. This may be the most easy to apply reality of this great truth of God's power over all things. And yet his desire for you to be active in things. When you see something good and you can actually influence it, do it. Don't give yourself the excuse of your busyness. Don't give yourself the excuse of your overburdenedness or your overwhelmedness. God's got the back. He's got the top. He's got the bottom. He's got the sides. What are you going to do in the next moment? That's the only thing that is left for you. And when there is a good procrastinated, it often becomes a good that is left undone. And then the proverb turns and it says, right now it's saying, do what's good, now it's going to turn, it saying, don't do what's, God, my words just fell apart there. It just said, do the right thing. Now it's saying, don't do the wrong thing. Verse 29, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Verse 30, do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. I read these and I was like, not applicable. Okay. I'm just being honest. Okay. I'm human. And I read that and I'm like, here's the deal. I'm not planning evil against any of my neighbors right? There is no extra load of toilet paper in the back of my car. I don't have a bunch of plastic forks. I'm not just driving around waiting to ruin somebody's day. What kind of horrible person would ever do something like that? I did, right? That's why people should have been praying for me as a young adult, all right? Maybe there should have been more people on stage back then. I'm not doing that. Verse 30, don't contend with a man for no reason. I feel like I have to contend with stuff. I'm not looking for fights, Then I started thinking a little bit more about it, and I realized there are a lot of ways that I can do this and not even realize I'm doing it. I'm not gonna read the story to you, but if you look in 1 Kings chapter 21, this would be good for devo time or your study time in the morning. There, there's this uh, king, the king's name is Ahab, and there's this guy whose name is Naboth. Now Naboth, it seems like, is just this really good guy who's trusting in the Lord. He's one of God's kids, and he happens to live right at the edge of the king's palace. He's got a vineyard, right? He's growing stuff and he's got the green thumb and it's beautiful and it's aromatic. And King Ahab is over here in his castle or whatever. He's looking over and he's like, it's a really nice garden. I'll take it. All right, now that's an exact example of this. But here's the deal he doesn't want to deal with the consequences of it. He doesn't want to step into that uh, having terror that's expected because I'm doing something horrible. And so he just gets angry about it and he's bitter and he goes to dinner that night and his wife can tell there's a problem. He's all grumpy, right? And his wife's like, what's the problem? And he's like, ah, I want that vineyard. And she's like, you know you're the king, right? And then she says, like, this is almost verbatim. Eat your bread and be happy, I'll take care of it. And it's like Old Testament wife stuff right there. Eat your bread and be happy, I'll take care of it. And so what she does, he eats his bread and he's happy. And she goes and she throws this party for Naboth. And Naboth is sitting at the most prominent spot in the table, And the Bible goes on and it says, but find two ruthless men. Sit them next to him in this public place. And when everybody is kind of quieting and the party is lulling, have them accuse him of something horrible. And that day it was cursing God. And then stone him. And within a short period of time, that's exactly what happens. This guy is just living his life. He's just planting the vineyard." And by the way, he didn't give it to the king. The king was like, I'll give you another vineyard. It'll be even better. And he said, I can't give it to you because it's my ancestral land. It was given to me by God. It isn't mine to buy or sell or or trade. And he goes to this party. And next thing you know, he's being pelted with rocks. He's bleeding out on the ground. His wife and his children looking on or hearing the death of their father. Now, when I read this, what happens inside of me is that's unjust, that's unfair. That king, that queen, and those two ruthless men should be strung up, heart style. They should be dealt with publicly and painfully. That's what I say. And the reason I say it is because I'm still missing the eternal eyes to realize something. Naboth is fine right now. He's got a much better vineyard than he ever would. Wife and kids likely beside him enjoying the goodness of being near God. King Ahab, he may have had that garden for 10, 20, 30 years, and I guarantee you he'd give every one of them back because long before you or I were ever born, he was suffering eternally for this reality. You cannot rest. You cannot have comfort if you don't have eyes to see eternally. You just can't. Well, how does this play out? It plays out when we use the legal system when we use insurance for our own piggy bank, when we see an easy way to make a buck or to screw somebody over and we just step into it because it's convenient and it's easy. None of you are kings and none of you are wanting to grow vineyards, I don't think. But having the opportunity to manipulate the system is something every one of us struggle with. Tax season's around the corner, right? And then I I was thinking about this for verse 30, contending with a man for no reason. I don't do that until he cuts me off in traffic. I don't even know this guy. For all I know, he's like flying to the hospital because there's somebody on a ventilator and he's got to get there to love on him or say something. But if, but if you've cut me off, there's a problem. I've got a windshield in front of me and you've got a rear shield in front of you. And because of that separation, I can get as angry as I want to get. Social media is the exact same way. The moment we aren't face-to-face with people, how quickly we change, contending and arguing and fighting over things that don't even matter The confident and restful people are able to need people less and love people more. This right out of a book that Ed uh, Welch wrote called When People Are Big and God Is Small. This concept that the more I need you to give me the things that only God can give, the less I will ever be able to love you. Friend, family, or neighbor, it is a reality. And then finally we come to verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence and don't choose any of his ways. Why would I envy a man of violence? Well, back then, the reason was it was a shortcut. This is how the Good Samaritan became the Good Samaritan. Somebody said, hey, why would I go work an honest day's labor when I could just find a guy and I can mug him and I can take what is his? It was an opportunity to take a shortcut. It was an opportunity to not push into relationship and not do what was right and maybe deal with the consequence tomorrow. But today I'm gonna get mine and I'm gonna take care of that. Confident and restful people can fight the temptation to take shortcuts because God's timing is right and his plan is good. And then it just hit me. All of these realities That God is offering to us this rest and this confidence that he offers to those who trust in him was the exact thing that he gave up to be able to offer it to you. Now, let me not be poetic and just show you what I mean. In verse 29, we're supposed to dwell trustingly beside people, but who dwelt trustingly beside people who are constantly seeking his harm? Jesus, the lamb who was slain. In verse 30, who was contended with for no reason, even though he had done no harm? Jesus, sinless. I mean, the guy literally went around doing nothing but good. How was it that people were constantly picking fights? Verse 31, who didn't take the selfish shortcut that would have been the most convenient? When the devil says, look, I'll just give you all of these kingdoms. Bypass these 33 years that are going to be miserable and painful. Who bypasses that shortcut? Christ does. And then he does the very thing that the Spirit of God is calling every one of us to do. Who didn't procrastinate to do good when it was in his power to do so? Jesus. If Jesus procrastinates one moment, if his knees hit the floor in that garden, and he says, God, it's just not worth it. We can still be together. The Trinity was enough before people were ever created. The Trinity will be enough. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we don't need humanity to be full in and of ourselves. Why would we bring this mess in and on ourselves? It would have been easy, but instead he looks at the Father and he says, not my will, but yours be done And because Jesus does this, because he lives this life, the opposite life that you and I have lived, he's able to say something that nobody else can say. He's able to say, you're not able, and I am. Do you want that kind of confidence? You have every reason not to rest at night because of your brokenness. I have every reason to rest. Do you want that comfort? Then come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What are you confident in? I promised you I wasn't going to bait and switch you, and I'm not. There are things that you are good at, confident in your ability. I can fix stuff pretty well. I love broken things. It was at a neighbor's house today, and the thermostat on his—you um, struggling over there, Scott? You good? There it is. I just knew you were there. I could feel it. <laughs> it was on you, Joe. Pray for our young adults. <laughs> I just couldn't help it. His thermostat was askew. It was like twenty degrees off. So I like about ruined my shirt trying to fix. I can fix stuff. I want you to think of that thing that you're confident in, and I want to read this verse to you. If you're a Christian, there is something that you should be more confident in than anything you will ever be able to do well. If you're not a Christian, this is a hope for you to find confidence and rest. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. He was torn open to give you this kind of confidence. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. And when we draw near, when we come into this place and we stand up and we sing with the fullness of our spirit and we share the goodness of what God has done and we receive prayer for the brokenness of this world and the open end that is the box of our life, here's how he says to do it. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith because your heart has been sprinkled clean From an evil conscience, your body washed with pure water. So hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. This is a different kind of confidence. No matter how well I could fix something. No matter how well I could just walk into a situation and and start talking. I'm good at it. No matter how good you could be at anything. Here's what the Bible is saying. You will never be as good at anything as you should be at coming before the throne of God. Because you're only coming because of what Jesus did. You might be good at fixing stuff because you took stuff apart when you were a kid. You might be good at speaking because you took a lot of communication classes or because your children just didn't have, your church didn't have a lot of good leaders in kids ministry. So you hopped in when you were 13 years old. That might be why you're good at those things. But this you're only good at because Jesus did it. And Jesus did it perfect. You who are believing in Christ will never be as good at anything in your life as you ought to be at drawing near to God in confidence and rest. Verse 24 then expands to how we ought to leave this place tonight. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. People who are confident in the work of Christ, people who rest in the work of Christ, have room for other people, just like Jesus did. And if you're not a believer, and if you're just feeling so much heavy weight because of your own sin, let me, let me just show you the math on this. Every sin that you have committed echoes, it, it goes and it grows. It's why the the rest of Proverbs continues, and it talks about you will dwell in security or God will bring a curse on your house. If you keep reading, that's what you'll see. Why? Because every sin echoes and grows as it's passed on, as your children deal with it, as your neighbors deal with it, as people around you and your co-workers deal with your brokenness, but never challenge God's mercy against sin. His mercy is greater, his mercy is wider. So whatever depth and brokenness you are feeling, the mercy of God is saying, challenge me. See if the echoes of my mercy and grace will not outperform the brokenness of your deeds because you can't even sin as well as Christ can redeem. Because of Jesus, yesterday's failures should never paralyze you from walking in today's goodness and grace. That's what God offers all who trust him. What I'd like to do is pray over you. And then I'm gonna put that little slide up of the work of Christ. And the band's just gonna play in the back for just a moment so that you can think and you can respond. But let me tell you a couple of ways that would be appropriate to respond. We always have folks in the back. Y'all and Jessica are going back to be on that side, I'll be on this side. And if I can just challenge you as your pastor, let me challenge you with this. We need to be a responsive people. We need to be a people who can hear from God and move because of who God is. And it's not a show and it's not an act, but I just want to free you up. Going and receiving prayer doesn't mean that your marriage is on the rocks. It doesn't mean that you're caught in some heavy sexual sin. It just means that there are this many people in a room and there's a really busted world out there and a lot of us need prayer. Some of us just need to celebrate and that would be a worthwhile thing to do as well. But let's be a people who respond. Let's be a people who are willing to get up and to move, to sing with the fullness of our voice, to kneel and cry out to a God who hears all things because we can rest and be confident in him. Stand with me if you would. Father, as we begin to sing, as we think over these realities, Build in us through your spirit the ability to respond. For those of us who are anxious, show us the rest that is in Christ. For those of us who are weak and feeble, show us the confidence that is in Christ. For those of us who are overworking and overconfident in ourselves, crush our pride and bring us to a place of humility that you would be able to exalt us through the power in Christ and in Christ alone. May we be a people who come to you and sing to you and tell stories of you and pray for one another because we have been called together into this place to celebrate who you are. Give us the ability to do it well, in Jesus' name.